Good morning, and thank you for joining us. I really love the incredible energy in that opening. It represents the way we feel about California. California has always been a place for people with big ambitions and big dreams, a place where people are fueled with optimism to make things better, to make things that can change the world. It is such an important part of who we are at Apple and inspires us in everything we create and do. We're proud to call California our home. We have a lot to talk about today. Let's get started. Welcome to Inside the Apple Studio, a podcast that talks with architects to learn how they use Apple products in the practice of architecture, with your host, Neil Pan. On September 14th, 2021, Apple held their traditional fall event, this one titled California Streaming. During the event, they announced updates to the regular iPad, the iPad Mini, Apple Watch, Fitness Plus, and the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro. For this special episode of Inside the Apple Studio, Eitan Rubini, a certified Macintosh consultant and owner of MacZen, where he combines his graphic and communication arts background with Mac and iOS expertise to help clients manage and maintain their Apple devices, joins me in this discussion. Eitan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Neil. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you taking your time out on the day of the event this time. My pleasure. I also do want to remind everyone that uh, we are recording this the day of the event, so I'm sure more details will be revealed by Apple afterwards or in the in the forth, forthcoming days. So be sure to check the Apple for Architects Facebook group for those details as they come out, and I post them there. So, Eitan, let's get started with your overall impression of the event. It's been a, over a year now where we've had these video presentation events, essentially. They're kind of like little mini movies. And what do you think about this one, say, compared to last year or this one overall first? Well, you know, I think it's a very well-practiced format. I I actually like it a lot more. You know, it'd be nice when they do actually eventually come back in and you can hear the cheers of the crowds. There are lots of places throughout the presentations that I always expect to hear the crowd applauding. Uh, applauding. And that I miss quite a bit. But, you know, I mean, aside from that, production value is very clearly uh, highly, highly polished in a very Apple style, uh, even down to the point where you have Tim Cook walking off of the desert onto this shiny mirrored black floor, and then it turns out to be just the backdrop behind him. I mean, little right. details like that, you know, they've been sweating over the small stuff. And the the amount of money that they throw at these things now is ridiculous. I mean, it's very clear that they're probably spending even more money. In fact, it's probably an opportunity for them to say, let's just spend even more money on this stuff because we weren't spending enough on it now. We've got, we've got, to, we've got to blow through some of these budgets. Well, they, they have a travel budget now, right? <laughs> it's it's <laughs> insane. Um, but I think, you know, one of the biggest things is it's also an opportunity for them to really kind of showcase, and we're going to talk about this later on, the iPhone Pros. Uh, and what they're bringing to the market with those, because you can guarantee that pretty much most of the production was done using those. Um, right. And uh, uh, it's an opportunity for them to show it off and showing off their finesse and their prowess. And, you know, it's 
it's not so much just about their technical skills. It's like we've got time and effort and brain power left over at the end of designing all these products to come out with these really great way of delivering it to you and presenting it to you. So I really appreciate the production value. I love that they make full use of uh, the Apple, you know, spaceship when they're flying the around. Campus. I think it's lovely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love them. I love them. I just miss the cheers. That's all. Yeah. I, a part of me doesn't miss I, the cheers in that it just takes time and people are getting interrupted and going a little interrupting their script or their flow a little bit. I mean, I'm sure they try and build in, Hey, we think we're going to get some applause here. So take a pause. Uh, but the, the pace of the show seems to be much better without those interruptions. And then the time that people have to take coming right. on and off stage, I don't miss that for sure. But what I also found interesting this year in comparison to this earlier this year or uh, last the, the three different events that they had last year in 2020 was that it seemed like because of the pandemic and then because of the time frame that they had to put these together, how the pandemic started in the spring and then into summer, they had to kind of adjust very quickly. It seemed that most of all of the transitions and events and sites were all basically around the Apple Park campus for the most part. Right. They had a few when they talked about the Apple Watch last year where I think they had somebody on a surfboard or something out in the in, in Monterey Bay or something. But for the most part, it was all around the Apple campus. And the, certainly with the theme of California streaming this year was definitely we are going to go out into California and we are going to be at they we were down in San Jose. They were somewhere around Santa Cruz or somewhere in that area uh, and in uh, San Francisco downtown is or not downtown, but in San Francisco itself. So they really spread like I just mentioned a moment ago, they had a travel budget. And they really used it. I thought it really was a great way to showcase California. If you didn't like it, you sure got a good sense of uh, the, some of the spaces here in California for sure. Uh, maybe maybe they got paid a little bit from the California Tourist Bureau or something. Getting a credit for them just to just to showcase how fabulous California is. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So. With that, their the first thing that came up was the Apple TV. And they kind of did an update on all of their fall TV shows. That was kind of interesting. I, I think it's uh, something to do the week before the Emmys, which I think they did mention during the show uh, that that was coming up this weekend uh, as we record this. So not much really to say there uh, other than there are several shows I'm looking forward to seeing foundation for one of them that's my one of my favorites that i'm that i'm looking forward to i just started reading about a month ago the entire book series there was a, on apple books you could buy one to seven of foundation oh so i just i snapped it up it was on sale and i started reading it because there's no way i'm watching that <laughs> <laughs> without having read the books i'm not going to be one of those people um well so I'll i'm admit, on a mission I'm, I'll be one of those people. I've not read the books, and I don't plan on reading all seven in the next few weeks oh, before very dry. Uh, the show starts. So. Yeah, they're okay. a little dry. I can't believe how uh, Asimov used to write in the beginning. It was The language was so completely different uh, than what we would use today to get a, get a message across. But fabulous. Right. I mean, they, I think what they've done, particularly with this uh, event, is 
that I noticed anyway is they really kind of addressed uh, the low-hanging fruit in the audience, which is, you know, the consumers that might be starting off watching it uh, before yeah. it gets really dry and getting into the technical stuff that you and I jazz on, uh, right. you know, because they showcased all this great content. Um, they have built up a fairly sizable portfolio already, uh, and there's often a, a lot of uh, misunderstanding that people have about what Apple TV Plus actually is. You know, they Right. Don't really make the distinction that the Apple TV is what consolidates a lot of your uh, various streaming services, but Apple TV Plus is all original content. Um, yeah. So, you know, I enjoy working my way through it. There's very clearly high quality uh, stuff in there. And, um, yeah. you know, it, it's definitely worthwhile to have, but they're certainly building up quite a portfolio. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The first hardware was kind of a bit of a surprise, at least. To me, I mean, many of the rumors leading up to this event never really talked about iPads being a, a part of this event. And they did just introduce a new iPad Pro in the spring. So I think in general, I think there was some surprise, at least on my part. But we we first up got a new basic iPad, the one that starts at 329. They brought in a new A13 Bionic chip, or I should, shouldn't say new, but new to that device. I think what's most interesting about the iPad is Apple is all in on center stage. Uh, and center stage, of course, is a 12 megapixel ultra wide front camera that they first introduced just earlier this year on the iPad Pro, where basically you prop it up and it will follow the people in, in and out of frame as people join or something like that, or it will move as you move with that wide angle. It has the ability. It's not physically moving, but to in software to pick up, oh, he's moved over to the right or she's right. moved to the left. And we're seeing that trickle down very quickly. I mean, this is a feature that barely six months ago was brand new and on their most expensive iPad. And it's trickled down very quickly now to the iPad, the basic iPad. Well, I think the uh, center stage is one of those features that I I imagine was probably dreamed up in a lab. Like, okay, we've got these parts. How do we put these kind of pieces together? And what do we come up with for the consumer? And I can just imagine everybody kind of sitting around the table and brainstorming. You know, they take an ultra-wide camera. They take this high-powered neural engine that they have, uh, the machine right. learning component of the processor, and they bung them together and say, okay, let's follow this person. And later on, we'll talk about an, another feature that they introduced that kind of takes this to the next level. You know, very clearly yeah. they're not, you know, sitting on their laurels with this stuff. But this is where, uh, with Apple, the leading edge comes to fruition. They have these wild, imaginative ways of using the technology to both justify the development, justify the a breakneck pace at which technology is progressing, particularly out of their labs. Um, you know, but they're also, it's a, I think it's a big milestone for Apple with this particular iPad and being able to use this technology in the base level consumer version. Because here we are, we finally arrived at a place where if you buy a entry level iPad today, it's still going to be relevant four to five years in the future. You know, we're we're on the other side of this, you know, really steep curve where yeah. uh, mobile technology was becoming obsolete 
insanely quickly. I mean, you literally had to buy the second iPad that came out because the first one was already uh, was there already slow and obsolete. Things had already right. moved on beyond that. Same with the phones. You know, you had the steep, steep progress uh, all the way from the iPhone 1 up to the 5S, you know, and then things started uh, to slow down from the consumer right. standpoint, right? Yeah. Um, mostly because the process was beginning to outpace what most people use. So the only yeah. way that they can continue to make this this performance raw powerhouse um, relevant is to is to utilize these these uh, features as best as possible. And I think center, center stage is a really great one because you look at it and you use it, and it's like, oh my god, that's so obvious. Right, you know, that's one right. of the worst things. I mean, think how many times you've been sitting in front of a Zoom call, for example, and there's always one person here or there that you know their eyes are kind of like down at the bottom of the screen. And right. you can mostly see their background. This takes care of that. Uh, yeah. And that was only possible because they have this ultra-wide lens that can capture more of the field of view. And then they can use uh, the facial recognition. And when I say facial recognition, I mean just kind of object uh, right. identification and make a best guess as to how to frame the photo or the yeah. shot. So I think you brought up an interesting point. I mean, my family, a few years ago, I got uh, my wife and my my daughter a new iPad. And I think it was the sixth generation iPad. And quite honestly, they're still, for how they use them, they're still fine. They're not too slow yet. And that's, I mean, this is, I don't think they put gave a number to this one. Uh, I'm sure there is. It's, it's probably ninth, the ninth eight, gen. Ninth? This is the ninth okay. gen. Okay. Yeah. So we're, I'm already three generations uh, past. And for the most part, those iPads are still working great. Absolutely. So I think, it, as you just mentioned, they're that sixth generation past that point you're talking about. And there's, you know, at this stage, there's no reason for them to update just yet. No. And it'll still be good. So we're, we're at their third to fourth year on that one. And they'll probably be fine for another year or two. Well, and, you know, there's, uh, uh, I, every once in a while I get people ask, you know, somehow in the conversation it'll come up with this, you know, notion of planned obsolescence, uh, like it's yeah. a buzzword that just gets passed around. Um, and this is always my response to that fear that they're buying into a technology that's going to be obsolete. And, you know, uh, within the Apple uh, market, for people who have owned Macs for a long time, uh, they know that when they buy a Mac in general, particularly if you're buying a little bit on the higher end and you're kind of tweaking the configuration toward the higher end, you're going to end up getting something that lasts for a long time. Uh, most people I know who have had iMacs uh, and are replacing them now, they're anywhere from 7 to 10 years old. There are still yeah. people out there using 2011s and they're still fine. Uh, you put an SSD in there, those things are good to go for a, a while longer. Um, but what they're showcasing here um, is the very fact that even though they're just introducing, and we'll uh, we'll see this with the with the iPhones and um, with the iPhones later, the A15 Bionic, which is their latest processor, they're running an A13 Bionic in the iPad. Uh, and when you look at this and you look at it compared to things like the Apple Watch, like the iPhones, and how their for-sale product lineup is, 
you'll see that they're they're using their they're leveraging their mass production uh, capabilities to retain a level of availability at a lower price to older technology that is still relevant uh, that reduces wastage um, uh, keeps things more accessible for people um, means that they don't have to underproduce or under or overproduce on their hardware uh, they can they can leverage it all and still sell it and kill still keep it relevant and make things entry level and accessible for people so you know it, I think they hit uh, a lot of different angles with how they approach this uh, products like the iPad um, because it, it I think it, it speaks to their kind of philosophy in a, in a very grandiose way. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, next up we had the iPad mini and this, unlike the basic iPad or the, the consumer iPad, this was an all new design. I mean, I think I told a friend of mine earlier today, it was like taking the iPad Air and squeezing it down to the mini size. I mean, it's essentially what it is. It has Touch ID. It's got USB-C, includes 5G, the same sort of camera system, Wi-Fi 6. I mean, uh, even landscape stereo speakers. or stereo, You get stereo sound when you, when you move it into the landscape mode. And, uh, you know, also support for the Apple Pencil 2. Yeah. I mean, this is essentially an iPad Air down at the mini size. So I know there's a lot of uh, iPad mini lovers out there that have just been waiting for this one for a really long time. I know we went several years with almost no iPad mini updates. And some people were thinking, is there, are they going to kill the product? And clearly they were not. <laughs> they, they've had such a success with, uh, with the iPad Air. And you know, I I get to see uh, a small cross section of it because mm -hmm. I, it's uh, the iPad Air has been a, a great sell. It's been so easy to promote that as a product because there are lots of people who you know they want to spend a little extra, they want to get something a little better, they want to get the better technology, so they're not buying something obsolete uh, potentially. So they like to be in the kind of uh, innovator early adopter kind of category but they're not right. necessarily in the market for an ipad pro uh, and aside yeah. from you know some of the higher end features that you get with the ipad pro like i was saying on the consumer level as far as the consumer is concerned there is uh, nothing wrong with getting an ipad mini or an ipad air because the performance is off the scale for most people anyway and right. I love the fact that they've got the Touch ID just built in the side and they've managed to get this kind of really low bezel display in. Uh, I think it's wonderful. And with the inclusion of their new, in contrast, A15 Bionic, uh, they were touting 40% uh, faster CPU, 80% GPU uh, increase, and... Um, and two times faster. Oh, the forty percent CPU and GPU were they increases over the uh, competitors? Was that was in comparison previous, to previous. I believe it was previous, was the previous generation. generation. Maybe I'm mixing it up with another product. But yeah. the uh, faster neural engine and everything else. They added USB-C, which is great. So, yeah. you know, I think lots of lots of lovely features. Uh, features great uh, opportunity to. Uh, give back to the people that were supporting that particular segment of the of the uh, lineup. 
Um, yeah. I, I think it's a great addition. I know there are lots of people that would probably really enjoy it. Uh, people who prefer to buy the smaller iPhones and not the Macs, you know, you get yeah. kind of something that you can move down down the middle, <laughs> I suppose. It depends where you kind of scale yourself the way along, uh, along the line. Right. Now, are you an iPad mini user yourself? I am an iPad Pro 2018, 2018 user. So it was the okay. the first uh, Face ID uh, right. iPad. I went from okay. I used to have the the two twelve point nine inch with the Touch ID on the front bezel, right. and that I found that too big and kind of cumbersome to yield around. And I just wanted a notebook, so I went to the the ten uh, inch uh, iPad Pro okay. from twenty eighteen with the Face ID, and I love it. Same thing. No reason to upgrade that whatsoever. You know, still right. going to be good for years to come. And they're banging this stuff out and getting them out to people. And I think this is a wonderful addition to the lineup because this is a product they can actually hang on to for a good few years, maybe do a speed increase on it a little down the road and with no other need to change it. Yep, I, I completely agree. Uh, much like in the iPad Pro, I mean, pretty much from twenty. 18 to 2020, the exterior of that device is virtually unchanged. And I can definitely see this iPad mini exterior device design uh, continuing on for probably the next four or five years. Yeah, I mean, it kind of begs the question, how much more can you polish the edges, you know, and (laughs) just kind of tweak it? It's like, how do you get you reaching perfect? And yeah. it's it's very hard to imagine how they can take something where it is now and just try and tweak out just that tiny incremental change in the design that makes it better. Because I have absolutely no complaints in the weight. Uh, uh, for anyone who's never used an iPad, and I'm sure that's, you know, not really your, uh, not really your audience, but the amount of effort that goes into balancing these things so that they balance in your hands properly is unbelievable you you can literally hold one of these devices and they you know they had it in one of their demos yeah i, uh, saw I think that. it was, was it the mini that was kind of spinning on the finger yeah as the person was going up the escalator i believe these things are perfectly weighted and it's the same with the phones they actually p- make sure that these devices aren't side heavy or top heavy in any particular direction and, and you can feel that difference when you hold them yeah it's pretty amazing So after the iPad mini, they moved on to the Apple Watch. And so as they've done for the last, what, six years now, Apple Watch Series 7. I think new to this one, there really wasn't much as far as sensors. Uh, Last year, we got the oxygen sensor in the uh, Apple Watch 6. This year, it was all about a slightly larger screen. And something I think I, I wrote down, softer, more rounded corners. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I guess uh, the further you push to the corners, the, the more you have to ease those uh, curves at the edges. But that was, you know, the, uh, the screen itself, 70% brighter, I wrote down. And, you know, other than that, the very incremental sort of changes to the Series 7 compared to the Series 6. Well, this was actually my favorite uh, product okay. release for for this uh, for this entire event, and mo- you know maybe I'm a little bit kind of uh, biased on that because I I have a 
Series 2 that I can't wait to to upgrade. And I don't know if this one's going to be the one, but it's getting close. The one thing that boggled my mind about this is that they they mentioned that they have a 20% bigger screen area. And I was just like, how? 20% is big. You know, that's that's not a small number. And they had it side by side with the original Apple Watch, and it just looks gargantuan in comparison. Um, but what they did is they um, they actually, I can't remember what point of the demo they, they actually talked about it, but they have kind of like a, ref- they built in a refractive index into the glass to distort the image towards the outside a little bit. And I think they make compensations for it uh, so that you get this, um, you get this kind of side on effect if you're looking at the watch that you can actually even see like some of the dials and everything if you're looking to the side Uh, but I think what they did is they just kind of softened the curve a little bit because they had that extra room uh, so they could actually taper it out rather than having a a tighter radius on on it Um, okay but fascinating is that they managed to get the bezel around the screen down to 1.7 mil wow so you know that's you know, I hold my fingers up and I just kind of imagine what that is. And, you know, I'd love to see this thing in person because that's pretty close. I mean, I think that's kind of nipping at the bud of uh, what you get on even an iPhone in terms of kind of edge-to-edge, edge-to-edge screen. It looks gorgeous. Really, really like it. I was really surprised. And I think they, they had two slides that I think illustrated this best. They had the... Uh, series seven up against a series three, which Mm. my surprise here is that the series three is still being sold, which just blows my mind. It shouldn't be sold anymore, but the screen is, is much smaller on the, on the series three. They they changed it on the series four, four, five, and six essentially had the bigger screen on it. I mean, it's physically, uh, it's actually the watch is physically a little different than the series three, Mm -hmm. but not really noticeable but the screen is so much larger. But then they had a second slide where they showed the Series 6 up against the Series 7, and you could see that the bezel around the edge is, is much thinner, and that's, you know, uh, and a lot of the features that, that you pointed out with new watch faces specifically for that particular watch. And I think for you, you mentioned you have a Series 2. If I was going to upgrade, this would definitely be the one because – I think really the difference between the series three and four, that was a big jump. And really between four, five, and six, they added a couple of sensors, one and five, I think it was the EK or ECG and then the blood oxygen in the series six. Mm-hmm. So they added the two new sensors, but now here they've added a, a little bit more to the screen. But as a series six owner, I'm looking at this one and going, mm, I don't think this is not some not one I need to to buy this year. Right. Uh, and and honestly, I I have to say I was a little disappointed when I first saw it because the rumors and this is I do my best not to pay attention to many rumors, but it's it's almost impossible. And and there's a few rumor people out there that have partnered up with graphic designers and 3D modelers, and they're they're doing these 3D models and a. a they actually got so close on the iPhone 13 that I haven't seen any side-by-sides yet, but I bet you they're almost identical as far as what, what the rumors were showing and what the actual device is. And on the Apple Watch, they, 
rumors that were out there were talking about going to a flat edge design, very similar to the iPhone 12 right. and the iPad. Uh, and we didn't see that with this one. And maybe that has to do with in order to keep the, the bands being compatible with the originals uh, and all of the previous series, maybe they can't really go to that flat side design that we saw in some of the rumors. But when I saw this one, and again, I'm just, because I have a series six, I was like, hmm, no flat sides, you know, slightly larger screen than what I already have. I don't see a big motivation, at least for me, mm-hmm. but I do feel that for those that have a series three or like yourself, a series two, that I think this is the ultimate design uh, that they've done in the iteration. I don't know how much further they can push this particular design. I don't, I don't see them getting that screen any bigger without physically changing the size mm-hmm. um, and, and getting that uh, bezel down any smaller here at this point. They didn't mention anything about the uh, device being any faster. Uh, did they, did they I mention they did. something I'm about it being faster? I think there was a 33% increase in performance and still 18-hour okay. battery life. Okay. Uh, I didn't see that myself, but I did see that it's more durable, which is yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And it, they do tout faster charging. However, I think that might be due to the fact that they're shipping it with a USB-C uh, charger and cable now. And so they're able to give it faster charging. I mean, they made the Series 6, one of the nice uh, features in the Series 6 was that it charges in uh, pretty close to half the amount of time as the four and five and the unit, uh, the series right. before that. And so that made a big difference for, because the other thing they introduced in software in the series six, um, which was more of a watch OS item, but the sleep tracking. And what I found is that I didn't, I wouldn't normally wear my watch when I slept. So the way I tracked my sleep was essentially when I put it on the charger at night, when I fell asleep, And then as soon as I woke up, I'd put it on and then wear it all day. And then it would just basically track my sleep from when I put it on the charger and when I took it off. So I had to be diligent about making sure, okay, I'm going to fall asleep now. I'm taking it off. I was good at that. So it worked out okay. Mm -hmm. But now I wear it while I sleep. So it can really track my sleep with the the watchOS feature. And the faster charging in the six was really important because I would take it off as I maybe sat down to read or maybe got ready for bed. I'd throw it on the charger and it might be there for 15, 20 minutes, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. And that short amount of time would give it enough charge to make it all the way through the night. And I would do the same thing in the morning. So as I first woke up, I'd throw it on the charger, go get ready. And then it's ready to go at hundred percent when I'm, you know, going get once I'm ready. And so that faster charging in the six, I felt felt was really important for me, at least the way I use the, the watch. That's why I was a little disappointed with this one. There's just not really enough updates in this one. The, you know, there's still 18 hours battery life, which is great. I manage that no problem. Uh, it is still a device you charge every day, but there's no bump in that for yeah. this one. There's no, um, it, you know, perhaps there's a speed bump. Um, I don't see it on the slide that they presented today, but if there is, that's great. But I know I do know that they did a silicone uh, S6, I think, chip, they called it, which basically Series 4 and 5 were essentially the same speed. And then the Series 6 got a new chip. Mm-hmm. So, again, maybe this one's got a little bit faster, but 
I, I just don't see enough in this one for me personally, but I think anybody who's got at least a three or further back, you know, and then a four, if you really want the blood oxygen or the e, ECG that they introduced in the five, you know, you're going to get those as well. So I think it's a, it's a definitely a worthwhile update. I find it interesting that they're adding more colors because I know when I bought, I bought the blue series six model. And I remember getting a survey from Apple, which is kind of unusual. Uh, you don't always get surveys from Apple. And one of the questions I had was, why did you buy this watch? And one of the selections you could make was because of the color. Mm. And I selected that. So I'm sure I'm not the only one that said that. Right. And so I find it interesting that a year later, there's now five colors of the Apple Watch. Yep. I think the you know the important thing to for me to remember when it comes to the Apple Watch is that this is still for many uh, a luxury item. Yeah. You know, you go back 10 years. I remember spending uh $250 for a Skagen, a titanium Skagen watch and you know that was like a big birthday present that uh that I got for myself uh because you know I really wanted to I really wanted to have a watch and you know that was kind of like a a good price to pay for a watch that you were going to wear every day and now we're wearing watches that are 5 6 if you're up in Canada $700 um you know before you even get into any extra bands that you actually want and it you know it's kind of the same around the attitude that we used to have about phones you know who in their right mind, twenty years ago, would have spent seventeen hundred dollars on a, on a little candy bar sized thing that fits in their pocket? I mean, it's absurd that that's normal now. Yeah. What most people don't even spend on a computer, they spend on you know a high end phone. Um, and here we are in kind of like a similar situation. And you know, there are very few people who are actually going to go out and buy uh, Apple Watch iteration iteration to iteration. Yeah, I feel sorry for the people who bought the gold first series. <laughs> those twenty, those twenty grand watches, those were you know certainly a collector's item and nothing more than that. But I think you're exactly right. It's not enough of a speed bump for someone who owns a six, uh, maybe not for a five. But you start going further back, and it becomes a very appealing upsell. So I think yeah. if it, you know they they actually have, I think a very broad category of people who are just like eh, you know I need to wait a little longer because I just dropped six hundred bucks on it a few years ago, can't really justify buying spending that kind of money on a, you know a, a beauty item, um, you know because it's tough to sell unless you're really into all the features. Um, yeah. So uh, one of the things that really was very attractive to me, and I don't know if this is a watch OS thing. Uh, or if this is uh, something that's going to be unique to the 7, mm -hmm. uh, was the slide keyboard writing. That is unique to the 7 because it has a slightly larger screen and uh -huh. that they they show, I, I shouldn't say state that as fact, but from my recollection in watching the event right. earlier today, when they mentioned the full keyboard with QuickPath, it was a feature because of the size of that screen. Right. Then for me, that's a big one because there are lots of situations where, I mean, it, it's it's nearly useless on me on, on my two. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I basically have most features that everything that I can switch off to reduce uh, battery life, uh, to increase battery life and reduce uh, drain on performance is off 
on this thing, including the like Siri function on it. Uh, so there are lots of situations where, you know, I can't even use Siri to answer a text message because it's slow. But so I would have to revert back to using uh, the, the either the defaults or the or the scribble in order to type out a message. And for me to be able to do that in a private space without having to be vocal in front of my watch, uh, I think is, is, is an important one. So uh, it yeah. puts it into a into a viable category as a functional tool. Uh, that I don't think it was in before. Yeah. I want to take a second here and detour slightly. You mentioned the gold Apple Watch. And I think what's interesting about the Apple Watch, and and, and maybe this will come out in a book someday, so maybe somebody will talk about it. But Angela Ahrens, she was in charge of the stores, but she came into Apple at a time when the Apple Watch was maybe nearing the end of its development or during its development. I don't remember the exact time frame, but, and I shouldn't really maybe even pin this on her, but there seemed to be a push at Apple for luxury items and a luxury feel to your store experience. She changed a lot of the store experiences and not all of them were good. In fact, since she's left, some of these store experiences have changed back to what they were before, or they've certainly been uh, revised from what she had implemented. And I find what's interesting about the Apple Watch, when it first came out, it didn't really seem to know what it wanted to be. I shouldn't say this is a, a fault of really anyone, but one thing that I think is universally agreed upon is that Steve Jobs had a very laser focus on on what a product is supposed to be. And I think we saw that when the iPad came out. And that first iPad event that Steve shared and did, it was very clear what the iPad was, what it could do, and it was so focused. And the the Apple Watch was clearly the complete opposite of that. It could do all these different things. It was a luxury item, a $15,000 gold Apple Watch down to a $399 aluminum watch. And it just seemed to be focused on so many different things that it wasn't really good at any one of them. And I think Apple has kind of, I'm not sure if this was a push for this luxury movement at Apple that it had to be included in the watch, that the watch had to be a luxury item because they were wanted to compete against luxury watches. And they wanted to maybe differentiate the original Apple watch away from the cheap fitness trackers. Maybe that had more to do with it from a marketing standpoint. It's like, we don't want the Apple Watch to be thought of as a cheap Fitbit or a more expensive Fitbit. So therefore, we're going to add this luxury label to it with fancy materials or the addition models that were really expensive, $1,000 up and, you know, we're all the way up to 15 for the gold. And I'm just, I'm just curious. It, it, I don't know if it, that was the plan. And then it shed those items as more and more people used them for fitness and were buying them for fitness. And they were able to get the price down to make it more reasonable because it's, it's interesting, the whole wearables market, it seems like the cheap fit bits and other tort sort of devices like that. I think Microsoft had a band uh, for a short while that was meant to track your fitness, but that died. It seems like those fitness bands have died off a little bit and they're moving towards what the Apple watch is. But at the same time, the Apple watch is sort of moving down 
to becoming a more advanced fitness tracker. Right. So I'm not really sure what the real story there is with the Apple Watch, but it's, I mean, I'm looking at the slide that they showed today and I see nothing on here about luxury or anything. It's it's all about fitness. It's about different sensors, mindfulness, uh, nowadays cellular as well, but it just seemed like it's very, has a very different focus than it did when it first came out. Anyway, I, I just wanted to make that observation. Well, I, I think they, I think one of their biggest win was their relationship with Hermes, you know, because when, when, when they first came out, I think Hermes was right in there uh, in some of the luxury editions as well. And I think, you know, from my perspective, one of the biggest, boldest moves and, you know, it's, uh, you know, not to poo-poo the fact that there are people who are willing to spend 15000 to have a first run, first revision item in gold, uh, you know, dripping off of their wrist. But there were a lot of people who are very high profile who put an Apple product like that front and center on every single glossy magazine cover where they got featured or every red carpet or, uh, you know, every Grammy or every, um, you know, every Oscar event. They were, the watch was there right front and center. When you're looking at it, you're saying, oh, what are they wearing? Oh, they've got an Apple watch kind of thing. So I think from from the social uh, entertainment industry and fashion pressure i think it was a huge win for them because it positioned it as a lust item that's a good point never mind the cost you know to hell with the cost but uh and i think in that respect it gave people something to lust after and you know that gold was dropped like uh you know like a hotcake by the time the second uh, the series two came out you know there's no way they were going to do that again but i think they achieved what they needed to with that and yeah. In that respect, I think it wasn't so crazy an idea. But you're exactly right. I don't think they really knew exactly what they were going to get out of it, but they, I think they had a few ideas. And I think the side effect is that, you know, their relationship with Hermes, uh, creating these double tours and everything that they do, I, I think has been fantastic. And I think that's kind of like a legacy of their uh, luxury approach. And if you get into the stainless steels and the titaniums, you pair that up with one of those and you've got a luxury item that, you know, most people uh, are quite happy to wear on a day-to-day basis. I mean, most of the people that I know that have uh, a fair amount of um, uh, discretionary cash that they wanted to put put into watches, they're not putting them into Apple watches. They're putting into, you know, high-end turbillions, mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, the warrant that kind of investment into a technology that's not going to be obsolete in you know in two years so right you know then it becomes an investment and not not an expense so um i, th- I think they've actually done pretty well with that uh but yeah the gold one was just absurd i mean it's <laughs> just i mean the limited market for that is just ridiculous but you know the people who did have them uh, you know they were shining them around for sure. Yeah, I Even. think you bring up a very good point that it definitely created a mindset of what the Apple Watch was intended to be or what it was going to be eventually. And by doing that, I think you, you make a very good point about that. All right. Well, enough about the Apple Watch. Next item was Fitness Plus. Not much to say about this one. I should use it more often, but I don't. All good stuff. 
I think I sent a message to my wife. Uh, she's big on Pilates. I said, hey, guess what? There's a new Pilates feature and, and workouts that are going to be there. And I know people that ski, so maybe they'll be interested in these uh, special uh, workouts for getting ready for ski season or snow ski, I should say snow, uh, snow season. So, you know, I think what Apple's doing there, again, they have an Apple Watch, which is a product that is all about fitness. Now let's build a service around it. So it's kind of this perpetual motion machine. It's like, oh, okay, I've got an Apple Watch. Well, if I get Apple Fitness, I can get better, you know, more in shape with it. So I buy the service. So Apple's got two hands in our pockets uh, taking money, basically. I'd say that's pretty much it. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it, it it was very obvious. I mean, it's an obvious transition. Even if you understand the product lineup, it makes sense right after the Apple Watch to talk about the fitness aspect because they're angling towards this being the future. You know, you fast forward 10 years from now, we're really not going to need phones once we get our you know, our glasses or our contact lenses and things like that. Uh, the phone is going to eventually become, I think, a, a sideline to the Apple Watch once the technology in this increases to the point where people can use this as their only day-to-day -day item. Um, but they're building, a, they're building a model for it really to be the center. I always go back to how when they first introduced the iPod, uh, they were talking about the digital hub being the computer. And you've had this kind of this this hub has floated around their product lineup so many times over the years and here we have a product that is literally becoming the center of our health to the point that we don't even need our iPhones anymore in order to track our steps or to know where we're going GPS wise or where we've gone and you know, now we can be riding our bike and hey I can you know compete with my friends on how active I was today uh, so if you go back and you watch, I think if you watch that whole fitness segment, it was, I think it was pretty obvious how many times they were actually saying Apple watch, Apple watch and how much the Apple watch was referenced in there. So I think they were still selling the Apple watch while they were talking about fitness. Uh, but it, it, it's a great, the reality is it's a great product lineup. It's a great product mix. It's, it's a good sell. You know, I look at that and I'm like, Oh, how do I make my bedroom just that little bit bigger so I can actually do some exercise between my bed and the TV? I was actually, I walked into the living room and I was thinking, huh, I wonder if there's a wall I can stick a projector behind the couch and have, uh, and have uh, Apple Fitness running on there so I can actually use it. And, uh, you know, no luck there. <laughs> Yeah, you, you hire one of the architects listening <laughs> to the show, right? <laughs> They'll help you do that addition. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to do that one day. But, you know, the reality is is that it really ins it inspires people, you know, and even down to the use of the word inspire and breathing and, you know, let's make, let's make us all better people and these are the things you need to do. You need to have Pilates as an option. You need to have mindfulness as an option. You need to be able to do as little as a five-minute workout on Apple Fitness and maybe you don't even need a TV to do Apple Fitness. I think the mindfulness app even had some guided meditations on it yeah. uh, in audio only that you could just do when when you when you got a free minute, you know. So they I think they're really trying to capture this market and I think health is huge. Health is so big. 
uh, we're all suffering and we're all struggling every day and anything we can do to kind of bring our stress down, they know that that's a huge pain point that people are really dealing with. Um, and I think, and I think they hit the nail on the head. So yeah, fitness is going to be good. It's going to be a good feature. I agree. So next up we have the, the big event, if you will, that the, probably the, the thing that everybody knew was coming, right? That's why this event is happening. The iPhone 13. So they went ahead and used the iPhone 13 name. Some people were maybe speculating we might get a 12 S, but uh, they seem to have gotten rid of the S name that the last phone was, I think the 10 S or the, yeah, the 10 S was the last one to carry that name, but iPhone 13 kind of like an S model, really, I think, I mean, obviously a new processor, the A15, and they touted some of the performance enhancements with that new cameras, basic same design. I mean, they, they switched the orientation of the cameras. I, I think they're just bigger and you can fit two of them diagonally better than you can vertically in, in that same camera bump uh, or a very similar sized camera bump. And I mean, really, this is, this is a 12 S with a, with an iPhone 13 name. There's nothing wrong with it. I think it's a great improvement all around. I mean, they talked about the the screen and how much better the screen is. They've talked about uh, really the a 15, I think is the star of the show here, you know, with its 15 billion transistors. I just can't even get my mind around how you, how you do something like that. But I guess that's why I'm not a, a chip engineer. Uh, but, you know, 15.8 trillion operations per second. What does that even mean? I have no idea. What does that even mean? It's just, it's just an absurd number. Hey, Tan, I have a, an interesting perspective on what does that really mean? I think what it means is that it has the ability to do things that we just don't, we're not thinking about, right? So you, you're you're pointing it at uh, a sign that's in another language and it's instantly translating it for you. That's what that means. Or or there, you're, you're looking at a photo and it's pulling out the text from that photo for you. That's really kind of what, to me, the, all those trillions of operations, that's what it's doing. Or when you're taking photos and the way it's pulling out the light, you know, as much light as it can and doing all of the things that it does computationally for improving your photos, that's what all those trillions of operations are doing, you know, or, or it's sitting in the background analyzing your photos uh, hopefully in a good way. I don't want to get into the whole other argument that they recently were talking about uh, with the, I don't even want to get into it. So, but I think it's all of that processing that's going on in the background to allow you to have features that you just don't, are like, how does it do that? You know, or maybe even AR type features when you're pulling up right. and looking at the streetscape and it's giving you an arrow to say, no, okay, direct walk this way, Right. That's what yep. these chips are allowing you to do. And I think it was funny also, too, the way Apple jabbed the competition. And they said, I think, uh, you know, they're still trying to catch up to our chips from two years ago. And here we are with another leap forward this year. And they haven't even caught up to our chips from, uh, from basically the A13 or the A12. And uh, so it's like, here's all the things we can do with this speed and then just with the design of the chip i think they mentioned 
Uh, I don't know if I have it in front of me, the, the different level of uh, performance cores compared to, I think it's a, what is it? Six core CPU with two high performance cores and four high efficiency cores. I think that's very similar to what the previous design for the, uh, the A14 was, but still just having that ability to do all of these things, it just, it's, it's kind of mind blowing. The biggest thing that really comes out of that for me, um, and you see it when they talk about the cinematic mode, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier with the, I'm losing, losing my concentration for a second here. It's the, the center stage. Sorry. I lost the vernacular for the moment. Can we just rewind for a sec? Yeah, sure. Not a problem. The biggest thing, the biggest thing that I see kind of coming out of this is uh, with the with the cinematic mode, and much like Center Stage, uh, using this fifteen point eight trillion operations per second to really understand um, the context of what's going on, and using that to create features and create functions that make life easier for people. And, you know, a lot of that really boils down to this whole notion of on-device processing. When we first started uh, interacting with Siri, everything would go to their servers, you know, their massive data clusters, uh, in order to process the audio anonymously, uh, albeit. But now we're seeing those kind of things kind of come back into the phone, and they specifically talked about on-device uh text uh, uh, on device speech processing uh, for Siri as well coming into the product line and I, I think that's a I think that's a huge thing uh, because you know their their whole privacy is our world kind of thing uh, really boils down to bringing as much of that technology back onto the device so so that we don't really have to worry about having it going out onto different servers in order to process. And, you know, when it comes to you talking about analyzing your photos in the background, you know, without getting into that, uh, that minefield that's out there right now on the subject, uh, one, of the, one of the most amazing features that I love telling clients about uh, as a reason to use to have all of your photos in photos and have it in iCloud photo library so that you can take advantage of that extra storage is the fact that I can do a search now for words like sushi. And then I see all the pictures that have sushi in it. I can do a search for horse and I see horses, dogs, cats, uh, you name it. Never mind the identifying people or the other features in iOS that allow you to be able to allow it to create memories or automatically suggest sharing with people that are recognized in the pictures and things like that. Just the ability to be able to not have to go in and keyword 300,000 pictures in order to be able to find, uh, you know, your favorite picture of Uncle Bob eating his birthday cake down in Los Angeles, uh, I, I think is huge. And, and it all comes down to being able to divine uh, metadata out of the pictures or whatever it's looking at and using that metadata to make things that are useful to people. Um, and, the, you know, the cinematic mode, I think, is 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 really fun. And I think it's going to open up a lot of people, you know, inspire a lot of people to do more with their videos and things like that. So uh, pretty cool. Um, like before with the watch, I think, you know, Apple has to walk a fine line between alienating people uh, who just bought an iPhone 12 uh, 
um, you know, and all of a sudden having an amazing phone that they wish they didn't spend money on because now they want this one. Uh, but then also making it available to a market that is ready, uh, ready to upgrade. Um, you know, going back to what I was saying about iPhones. Uh, sorry, I talk really quickly sometimes when I'm excited about things. But um, yeah, going back to things like iPhones and iPads being kind of beyond the consumer curve when it comes to performance. You know, even as a as a professional, I'm stretching out an iPhone XS Max, mm-hmm. right? I didn't go to the 11. I didn't go to the 12. Uh, the 13, is it time? I don't know. Can I push another year out of the phone I'm using? Maybe, you know, because it's, it's a fairly big expense. So I, I think some of these... Um, I think some of these features that they're bringing out in the iPhone, and bear in mind we're still talking about the consumer iPhone, we're not talking about the Pro, uh, I think it's an attractive upsell for a lot of people who may still be stuck on SEs and want to go to something new. Well, I definitely think that if you're anything before an iPhone 11 and you're considering updating, this would definitely be a worthwhile update. Uh, Just the improvements to the camera including the cinematic mode. I'm really blown away that they brought the cinematic mode down to the consumer iPhone, the regular iPhone. I I would have thought maybe that would have been a pro sort of feature at first, but I guess they have the processing power. That's the same processor across all four models of the iPhone. And so that why not, right? Let's, let's bring it in there. There's no hardware sort of reason we couldn't. That could be why they brought the sensor shift ability down to the wide. I believe it was the wide angle lens now has the sensor shift, which was exclusive to the Pro Max phone in the iPhone 12. So now we have the sensor shift in all of them, which is could be why they could bring this cinematic mode uh, it down to those those levels, but I definitely think if you anything before an iPhone 11, it, it would definitely be a, a good upgrade. I personally have an iPhone 11 Pro, and when it comes to you know, will I upgrade to another Pro at this stage? I'll just say I don't think I'll be upgrading because. The iPhone 11 Pro, while there's definitely some features now that I'm missing, especially with uh, taking low light photos and uh, the night mode on all of the different uh, cameras, that's a feature I don't have on my 11. It's only on the, I believe, just the wide angle phone, uh, not the ultra wide or the telephoto. So there's definitely some features I'm missing. But for the most part, because I do have all three of those cameras on my 11 Pro, I'm, I'm not really missing enough to spend another thousand dollars or more right actually more because of the tax and everything to replace it at this stage mm-hmm. uh, so it does have the older curved edge design and uh, one thing that i don't think i've heard anybody really mention but the iphone 11 pro is the same size as the iphone 10 it didn't get bigger so the iphone uh, 12 the standard model and the the pro model are both bigger. They're, they're like the size of the iPhone 10 R right there. I think it's uh, the 6.1 inch or something screen. It's physically a bigger device. And that's another reason why I'm, I'm like, ah, you know, if I, if I upgrade to the 13, whether it be regular or pro, I'm going to physically get a bigger phone. Yeah. And I really like that size. I went from an iPhone 10 to the 11 pro for 
reasons, as in my 10 got pushed down to my daughter to replace her iPhone 6. So I was lucky enough to be able to afford to do that at the time. And the 10 and the, the 11 Pro were the same size. And so physically, I like that size. I'm not a fan. My son has a 10R that he bought on his own. And I'm not a fan of that size, that bigger size. I recently had an iPhone 11 for work and I, it was the larger 6.1. And I didn't really care for that size. Right. So I'm really curious to see what they do next year. If they do like kind of like a, a model redesign, I mean, the rumors are maybe dropping the, the, the iPhone mini from the lineup uh, in next year's model. So, you know, will we see kind of a form factor change or upgrade next year, or will they kind of stay with these same three or to four different model sizes? I don't know. Who knows? That's a year away. But what we've got today, uh, personally, I don't see uh, a reason enough to upgrade. But if you've got anything older than the 11 Pro or the 11, I would say, you know, it would be a good move to maybe move up. And 10, 10 is kind of borderline. My daughter has that 10 and the cameras are, are significantly better than the 10 Yeah, or the 10S. I think having the having the 10s Max, you know, having the dual cameras on there, it you know, it's great. It's it is stretching out from a performance standpoint. I still, from a performance standpoint, I can't justify it because the 10s Max is still kicking it for me, and I probably use it harder than a lot of people that I know anyway. But you know, for the cameras, absolutely. I mean, these things are a camera and video powerhouse with the cinematic mode you kind of got to understand and think about the technology behind being able to change the focal distance after it's been shot in post, if you want to. I think that's pretty fantastic, you know, and I think what they're doing is they're recording um, feeds from all of the cameras at the same time and then kind of combining it so it allows you to kind of shift between them. Uh, It's just crazy, crazy technology that they can even do something like that. So I'm very impressed with it. But you're right. Uh, 11 and 12. Is it time to upgrade? Tough to say. Well, speaking of crazy technology, the rumors were also true that I think Apple's calling it Super Retina XDR with ProMotion. I mean, how many adjectives are they going to add to this? (laughs) But essentially, it's the 120 megahertz or hertz. I shouldn't say megahertz. 120 hertz adaptive refresh. And this... It basically goes and adapts the refresh rate of your uh, screen from, I think they set a low of 10 all the way up to 120. Right. So if you're just sitting there looking at your phone, not really doing anything, uh, maybe you're just reading a page or something, it's it'll drop down to 10. And then once you start to scroll, it's up to 120. And maybe if it's a video, it's sitting at 24 frame or whatever it needs to do to synchronize at the frame rate of the video you're watching, but it's certainly not going to be 120 hertz. I'd actually love to see this. I do have a 2018 iPad Pro, the 12-inch model, which does have the 120 hertz. Right. And... Honestly, between my 11 Pro and my 12, uh, you know, 12 inch iPad, I, I, I don't, I can't see the difference. Now, it, it could be that the right. battery is so big in that iPad that having the Hertz drop to save battery life, I don't see that effect as much on the iPad because of the size of the battery. And I suspect if I had a smaller, you know, phone, 
battery, it would make a big difference. Potentially, they did talk about the fact that uh, I think they it does have a slightly larger battery, but uh, you know anywhere from an hour and a half, I think, to two and a half hours of battery life increase on the pro models. Right. So clearly, mm-hmm. that uh, adaptive refresh is is having an effect on on the screen itself. So or, you know, or battery life. So it, it that that's pretty cool. I mean, I like that. Not not enough yet to upgrade. But certainly an attractive feature. Absolutely. You know, something else that I think they they didn't really put on a slide. Maybe they did put it on a slide. I missed it. But they I, and I love the way they kind of said this, because I think they said it on the iPhone, on the standard iPhone. They said they increased the screen size or the viewable screen size. I may be getting the language exactly wrong, but they said they increased the screen size and I think later on, they did say something about a reduction of the notch in the screen and that it got smaller. Right. But the, the very first few times they mentioned it, they talked about where we increased the screen size. Isn't that great? I mean, the viewable area of the screen, not the screen size. Yeah. But essentially, they shrunk the true depth camera system so they could make a smaller notch. I think they said 20%. But they didn't make it shallower. I think they made it narrower. Okay. Less than shallow. It, it looks like more of a couple of teeth hanging down as opposed to a, as, as opposed to something else. But the way I see this, and it may, maybe it has something to do with being an architect and my training that I had, but I see negative space sometimes when I'm looking at things instead of the positive space. And when I look at my screen, I don't see the notch as taking away space. I see the edges going up and increasing my screen size. So mentally, and I may be, I'm the only one out here that thinks this, but, you know, because before we had kind of a larger band going around the phone that, that, that kind of gave you a, a rectangular screen. Right. And so the way I've always seen the notch from my 10, when I first got the 10 was like, oh, oh, they gave me these extra, this extra space above the screen yeah. that where the, where the screen used to be black. I'm like, right. they, to me, it was like they gave me extra space, like to put some of that stuff like, oh, here's your battery indicator or your Wi-Fi indicator, or your cell phone or cell reception. You know, it's like, oh, oh, look, they moved that stuff up out of the way. Isn't that great? Right. And that's the way I've always seen it. And, and I see it always written in every article I've ever read is that as if the notch is taking away screen real estate. And I guess it's just a mentality of how I think about it, yeah. but uh, it's never really bothered me. No, me neither. And I think that's probably one of the things that actually surprised people because all the detractors that came out and trashed Apple for putting a notch on their phone in the beginning, they're pretty silent now. And I mean, everybody else has pretty much come along and copied. I'm a, I'm a, I really don't like the, the hole punch camera. I totally get it. I totally understand why. I know one day there will be an ability to have a camera behind a screen and to be able to kind of see through the display without having to have either a notch or a hole punch in there. I'm sure that's going to happen one day. You know, however, but if I had to choose between the two, I'd take something that's uh more obvious. Yeah. and explicit rather than something that's trying to pretend to be what it's not, which is a hole in the screen. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't mind the notch at all. Uh, I just, I love the functionality that comes with the Face ID. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty cool. And you know, with the with the promotion, uh, one of the things that they said was now that they've they've optimized the entire operating system to promotion as well, and also that they're releasing it as an API for uh, for other apps to take advantage of too. I can't remember exactly where I caught that, but um, I'm pretty sure. Or am I mixing that up with the cinema? Uh, might be mixing that up with center stage. But anyway, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. That's okay. Oh, that's okay. The internet will point that out. <laughs> it's good totally. about that. <laughs> At least that guy admitted he was wrong. That's right. I think one of the, if, if there was ever any question about what drives iPhone upgrades, there was no question left. Apple knows what it is and it's the cameras yep. because when they first introduced the iPhone pro, I mean, they mentioned the screen, but then they switched to like this, like video that like, dove into the making of the camera system and like it pulled it apart gear by gear and piece by piece and zoomed in and then around and then came back out. And it's like, Baha, there's these three same cameras on the back uh, that were there before, but they're bigger. In fact, the notch, uh, not the notch, but the, the thickness of the cameras and they didn't talk about this, but they had a slide. And I think I took a shot of it that uh, kind of showed the, the, um, the phone on edge. Uh, I don't see it here, but the physical depth of that, of the cameras, how far they stick out definitely to me feels like it's much deeper than the iPhone 12 and certainly my 11. So they, they've done something in there to make those cameras stick out even further. But there's definitely no question about what they think is driving this series of, of iPhone upgrades here. It's the camera. They, they mentioned that it's um, the current ultra-wide is able to uh, macro zoom to two centimeters too, which I think is fairly significant. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I I then that is <laughs> that is certainly a feature that I would like to have. Yeah. Um I also find it interesting I and I don't know, I don't remember if the iPhone 12 also included a 3x optical zoom or if that was strictly on the Pro Max, maybe it was included. I don't remember, but but certainly the 3x optical zoom in the telephoto, the larger ultra wide uh bringing in they they say here what is this? A 92% improvement in low light in ultra wide. And then the wide camera itself is a, a 2.2 times improvement, not just two, but 2.2 times improvement in low light. So they definitely know that this is what's going to drive this particular uh, iPhone update. Uh, they still has the, the cinematic mode, which you mentioned is, is on this one, obviously. And then the ProRes video taking everything that the iPhone 12 was and bumping it up a notch, which is again, why I think this is really just an iPhone 12 S model. Right. Yeah. And I'd be inclined to agree with you. Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I think we'll go on sale. It says here at the sink, think it's pre-order start this Friday, Friday, the, what is that? Uh, four, the 18th or something. I may have the date wrong. And then it goes on sale on the 24th of shipping. And they're also keeping, you know, as I, as I look at the full lineup here, you've got the iPhone SE from 399. They're keeping the iPhone 11 in at 499. 
And then you've got two models, the mini and the regular iPhone 12 now drops to $599. And then they slot the iPhone 13 at the previous higher price at $699. And then the 13 Pro jumps $300 to $999. That's a pretty big jump. I think the iPhone 13 at $699 is, and this is, of course, US prices that they were showing in, in the video today. Your price will be slightly different depending on where you're at. But uh, and then what, and they did specifically mention that, oh, we have great deals with our carrier partners too. So you might be able to get a better price or if you're trading in an old phone, but I definitely think that, uh, I mean, they're hitting every price point, three, you know, four, five, six, $700, four different options, a hundred bucks each shot. Which one do you want? Yep. And then if you really want the pro, we're going to sink you another $300 just to get in the door. Or 400 if you're jumping up to the the max i'm pretty sure it goes back back to you know sound financial decisions in manufacturing and the manufacturing process uh you know when you're when you're producing phones in these kind of numbers uh you know a five percent overproduction leaves you a product line that you can sell for years you know uh they've got a lot of stock basically uh, that they might as well keep running, and because the because the platform and the processing power is still relevant, I think for their operating system, it makes sense uh, to keep them in there and leave the door open for people who want to come in at a at a slightly lower price point. Yeah, you know, once one other thing I want to mention before we move off to the uh, kind of wrapping up here, but on the iPhone 13, one of the I think when they got to the Pro, they had Jawsweak in front of the Apple uh, at the Apple campus and the whole building was completely lit up all the way around. And I'm just curious if anyone who lives in that area nearby, now the, the building is fairly, uh, fairly protected with a lot of trees around there. You don't get very, even driving on the road around the building uh, around the entire campus, you don't ever really get a very good shot uh, of looking at the building. And uh, I think it, it'd be funny if anybody remembers like, hey, one night, the whole building was uh, lit up or maybe for a week straight, this whole building was lit up every night. And it's like, ah, okay, we know when they filmed those scenes because it was done at night and the whole building was lit up, which I'm sure due to COVID-19 over the last year, that building has not been lit up like that every night. Well, maybe someone on the ISS is going to pick up on this podcast and uh, send us a picture of what it looked like on that day. <laughs> maybe you could see it from space all lit up. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hey, we've uh, we've gone over a lot of the things that uh, that came out today, and we've kind of hit on the, most of the highlights here. Uh, you so you've heard our thoughts. We'd like to invite the listeners to share their thoughts on the announcements. What did you think of the event overall? What are you most excited about? Are you going to be buying one of the new iPads or iPad minis, say an Apple Watch, or the iPhone this fall? Uh, let us know. And you can do that by contacting us on Twitter. Uh, myself is at N-P-A-N-N, or you can contact me on the Apple for Architects Twitter account, and that's Apple for Arc, Apple, F-O-R-A-R-C-H. Or search Apple for Architects on Facebook and follow the page and join the Apple for Architects Facebook group. Now, before we go, I want to thank my guest, Atan of MacZen, for joining me. Let everyone know where they can find you and tell you what they thought. 
Well, uh, I'm reachable at uh, maxzen.ca, M-A-C-Z-E-N.ca. Um, uh, we do a fair amount of uh, uh, residential and commercial consultations uh, for uh, companies and people who are heavily invested in Apple as their primary architecture. And uh, we do a lot of remote support. And so if, uh, if that's anything that's ever necessary, certainly look us up and uh, we'd be happy to reach out and... Uh, and be a part of your solutions. So thank you very much. I'm very grateful that you had me on. It was super fun to talk about all this stuff. This is very clearly something that you and I both get off on quite a bit. I mean, you know, there are lots of people out there that really love talking about this stuff, so we're not alone by any stretch. But, uh, yeah. you know, being able, to, being able to watch an Apple event for work and then talk about it is, uh, is, is pretty great. I enjoy it a lot. So thank you awesome. very much. Great. Well, thanks for uh, joining me today. And thanks again for listening to this special episode of Inside the Apple Studio. Be sure to follow the show in your favorite podcast player by searching Inside the Apple Studio and tap the follow button. If you like this special episode, let me know. And if you're enjoying Inside the Apple Studio, be sure to leave a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. Inside the Apple Studio is a production of Apple for Architects at appleforarchitects.com.